The COVID-19 pandemic has profoundly disrupted many aspects of graduate medical education, including recruitment, teaching and assessment, and supporting trainee well-being. But moving forward, this experience could inform ways of protecting trainees and their education during emergencies, as well as strategies for optimizing graduate medical education overall. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Deborah Weinstein, Executive Vice Dean for Academic Affairs at the University of Michigan Medical School, Chief Academic Officer for Michigan Medicine, and a member of the journal's Perspective Advisory Board. Dr. Weinstein has written a perspective article about lessons that can be learned from pandemic-related changes to graduate medical education. Dr. Weinstein, in your perspective article, you discuss several ways that teaching hospitals have had to shift their routines during the pandemic, including their already heavy reliance on residents, which intensified during the pandemic. How did various institutions deploy trainees to help address clinical care challenges? Different institutions felt the impact of the pandemic at different ways in different timeframes and responded accordingly, some able to learn from others' experiences. Trainees were deployed depending on what specialties they're training in and thus what background training they had to bring to a clinical scenario, and also depending on how much they were needed in their current specialty of training. So areas like anesthesia, emergency medicine, various intensive care-related residencies and fellowships were very much needed in their primary specialty or subspecialty areas. Others in areas where clinical care slowed down during the pandemic were redeployed in some cases to help with the COVID surge. And what about clinical education itself. In what ways did teaching look different during the pandemic? And do you think any of those adaptations will carry over to the post-pandemic era? Teaching changed in many ways during the pandemic. Our prior reliance on group meetings in person with a presentation and then a live in-person Q&A went by the wayside. So many of the live interactive presentations moved to electronic media like Zoom and others, and turned out to be very effective. Maintaining that going forward, even after the pandemic isn't dictating how we teach, would have certain advantages. Efficiency, for one, being able to bring learners together from different physical spaces, different campuses, different affiliated institutions, would all be very positive. It also allows for learners who are unable to attend a conference because they're delivering care at that time to participate or at least watch the interaction asynchronously and learn from it without missing it entirely. So I think it's pretty clear those changes will be incorporated going forward. Another way that learning changed during the pandemic is greater reliance on team-based care. One component of that is interprofessional care and interprofessional education. So when learners, um, residents, and medical students were in areas that they're not used to learning in, they were working very closely with nurses and other health professionals who were their teachers, who are their teachers in those scenarios, as well as working with more senior residents and fellows and often trainees from other disciplines as well as faculty from other disciplines. I think all of those experiences changed our outlook about the opportunities for learning across disciplines and across specialties 
And I heard from some residents that they became not only more understanding of other disciplines, but their respect for the knowledge and the capabilities of others in different specialties and other disciplines grew to an extent it had never done before. So you also say in your article that training institutions were given flexibility in meeting accreditation standards. So how did institutions use that flexibility? And do we yet have any sense of the effect on trainees' readiness for independent practice? Training and accreditation and certification standards all got a relook from the responsible organizations during this crisis. In terms of accreditation standards, the ACGME wonderfully took a very reasonable look at the COVID crisis and understood that certain institutions at different times would need more flexibility in meeting the array of accreditation standards that they normally have to comply with. And depending on each institution's level of crisis status, which they would declare on their own, they were able to enjoy greater flexibility in some, but not all, accreditation standards. In terms of certification, the ABMS, American Board of Medical Specialties, along with the ACGME, Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, recognized that the Clinical Competency Committee of each training institution had the ultimate responsibility for deciding when an individual is ready to progress, to graduate, and to perform unsupervised practice. And that is a core recognition and is something that I hope will be expanded going forward, not just in the crisis situation, but generally. We have moved so far in recent decades toward competency-based medical education. And the logical extension of that is competency-based advancement and competency-based unsupervised practice. So this pandemic has catapulted us a bit in that direction. And this is a moment when the regulatory organizations and the training institutions and the individual programs can seize the opportunity to enhance education by making competency-based advancement part of the fabric of medical education at all levels. We need to do a couple of things to really advance competency-based education. We need to improve our systems of assessment and maintaining assessment at a high level during a crisis is particularly challenging. Figuring out how to assess trainees who are working in a specialty or an area of care delivery that's not part of their usual training is difficult, but is possible. And that's an area where we've got early lessons from the first phase of the pandemic that we have an opportunity to apply and improve on in the ongoing pandemic. So if a resident or a fellow is working in a different area, their normal assessment tools aren't going to apply. But we have to figure out some way that the staff they're working with, not only the supervising attending physician, but the colleagues in all disciplines can help that person learn and assess them effectively. And then going back to the beginning of the process, another effect of the pandemic relates to recruitment. What kinds of challenges and opportunities have been created by the shift to virtual visits, virtual interviews? Recruitment has changed dramatically. Early on, it became clear that having large numbers of applicants touring facilities and interacting with current trainees and faculty was not going to be possible. So institutions and training programs pivoted in terms of 
moving an in-person interview process to a virtual process. That included ways of introducing their program and institution to applicants, like developing videos, hosting online sessions where current residents and applicants could talk together, virtual dinners even, mimicking the traditional on-site applicant dinner. Some institutions sent gift cards for dinners so that the applicants and the residents could actually have dinner at the same time, talk about the program online. All of those things, I think, made applicants feel somewhat better about evaluating their fit with a program and whether the program would fill their needs without actually visiting. After the fact, we did hear from applicants that they would prefer the opportunity to evaluate a program on site, but without having had that, they felt that the system worked pretty well. The silver lining in not having in-person recruitment activities is that it really democratizes residency selection and applications in an important way. The cost of travel to interviews is enormous, and many applicants can't afford that and limit the number and the location of the programs that they apply to, knowing that they have to go for an interview. It may also mean that for some applicants, they're going to be more conservative and not apply or travel to interview at programs where they feel like they may not end up being selected. But when the stakes are different and it's an online interview and not a travel investment, we think that that applicants will be able to extend their applications to a wider variety of programs, including those that are not near their home medical school. Those impacts of the match are actually being evaluated now, and we'll have more information soon. National organizations are considering whether this new approach for virtual interview and virtual selection should continue into the future, even when it's not compelled by the pandemic situation. And I think there are a lot of reasons to seriously consider that, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if that becomes the new norm. Finally, trainee well-being has been an important concern. What's been learned from the COVID-19 experience about ensuring that residents are treated fairly, receive adequate benefits, both during crises and in more normal times? Fortunately, in recent years, trainee well-being has been a focus of attention to an extent that it hadn't been in the past and should have been in the past. The pandemic really brought that into even sharper focus, and the needs were obviously greater. The enormous mental and physical exhaustion that caregivers are experiencing during the pandemic is certainly felt by trainees who baseline were often working 80-hour work weeks at a time in their lives where many of them have young children and aging parents and other responsibilities outside of their 80-hour work week. So we have to be careful to ensure that mental health services are easily available to trainees, because given their schedules and their other responsibilities, hooking up with a provider and who's got availability and proximity and all of that is very challenging. So with the transition to online care, it's a little bit easier, but we have to go beyond the usual resources to make sure that different ways of accessing mental health care are available to all caregivers and particularly 
I think, to trainees. There are a variety of resources available. There are online screening tools. There are ways to do online care within or outside uh, your institutional resources. And I think we need to, in the coming months and years, compare best practices that different institutions have developed during the COVID crisis and try to institutionalize these going forward so that access to care reaches a new level for trainees and all providers versus what we had in the past. Thank you, Dr. Weinstein.